Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. President Joe Biden announced he was going to run for re-election, saying, and then he said he wants to finish what he started. I'm like, God, no, please. I don't know how much more of this we can take. (laughs) I mean... Yeah, he's going to, I don't know, Is he? Do, do you think he runs the campaign from the basement again? Does he go that route? I mean, it worked well the last time. I guess he's going to have to cook up a uh, some sort of a pandemic. That monkeypox thing never took off like I think they thought it would. But um, no, I, I'm not sure. I mean, with a record like his, what? yeah, I mean, how could he not win re-election? Oh, did you see this? Bed Bath & Beyond? Yeah, they're done. Well, probably, maybe. You never know with BBB. You you don't ever know. It's possible. I think somebody might show up with like a whole stack of those coupons, and uh, and then they get the yeah like twenty percent off, twenty percent off, twenty percent off, and then they get like the store for like four bucks. I think it's possible that could happen. The big box retailer that for five decades provided essential shopping for college dorms, wedding gifts, and new homes will close all of its stores and liquidate inventory over the next two months after its turnaround failed. See, so I'm not crazy. I thought, like, I thought I remembered them going into bankruptcy or something, and then Christy and I, a couple months ago, we went into a a, a Bed Bath & Beyond down there, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I want to say it's, uh, yeah, Matthews, we go into the, the BB&B, and, um, and it looked like they were overhauling. I said, oh, they, like, like new shelves and stuff. It looked like they were, they were trying. And so I guess that was part of the turnaround effort, but it didn't work. The, uh, it's based in New Jersey, the corporate headquarters, which I don't know what to make of that. I mean, it's New Jersey. By the way, uh, do you want to hear my New Jersey joke? Okay. Uh, why do New Yorkers have such bad attitudes? It's because the light at the end of the tunnel is New Jersey. Thank you, Thank you very much. By the way, that does work the opposite direction, too. So if you're a New Jerseyan, New Jerseyite, New Jerseyan, whatever. If you're from New Jersey and you want to use that against a New Yorker, you can do it that way, too. So uh, they filed Chapter 11 bankruptcy on Sunday, a move that comes months after saying that it was weighing options to restructure debt with substantial doubt about its ability to keep operating. The filing will allow it to begin liquidating 360 Bed Bath & Beyond stores, as well as 120 Bye Bye Baby shops. I had no idea that's, that, didn't even know that existed. Bye Bye Baby, it's spelled B-U-Y. Have you heard of this? I did not know that. Uh, The company said it's also searching for a buyer, though. For some or all of its assets, the shuttering of one of America's most well-known home goods retailers will put the jobs of thousands of employees and their retirement savings and severance pay on the line. The company currently employs about 14,000 people in the U.S. and Puerto Rico, and among its initial requests in bankruptcy is to pay about $76 million of employee wages and benefits. This kind of makes me sad, but... um, 
like, I don't know if this is something like, is this like death of the big box retailer or is this like you guys just ran your business into the ground? And maybe it's a little from column A and a little from column B. Shares of the company fell 40% to about 18 cents during Monday trading in New York. The shares are down about 92% this year. A year ago, they were trading at $17 a share, and now it's at 18 cents. The timing of the wind down will be swift. Bed Bath & Beyond expects all sales at the remaining brick-and-mortar stores to be completed and the properties vacated by June 30th. My gosh, that is fast. So uh, just a heads up, if you do have a stack of the coupons, like like we do, <laughs> we have a whole stack of them, um, customers uh, are being told that the stores will stop accepting the coupons as well as membership discounts tomorrow. So you got to use them. You got to use them quick, which is weird. Right, because... Like, that's the thing about those coupons is, like, you just hold on to them forever and ever and ever, right? And then you just bring them all in and you just get 20% off. I wonder how much they spent on the printing costs for that, for all of those things. Because when you would make a single purchase, you would then get another coupon. You just, like, go to the mailbox and you get another four coupons just all the time, everywhere. You just get coupons from Bed Bath & Beyond. I'm wondering, like, maybe that was a flaw in your business model. I don't know. The company estimated it had assets of $4.4 billion, total debt of $5.2 billion. And uh, look, it's possible that they can find somebody to come in, buy them up, right? The company said in its filing that it may pivot away from the store closings if it can find a suitor. Bed Bath & Beyond, this is what they said in their filing, quote, Bed Bath & Beyond has pulled off long-shot transactions several times in the last six months, so nobody should think Bed Bath & Beyond will not be able to do so again. <laughs> That's in their bankruptcy filing, which is weird. It's kind of, first off, you're referring to yourself in the third person. That's always suspicious, right? Whenever you're like, Pete Callender doesn't think that. No, so, I yeah, I don't know what to make of that. Maybe there is some organizations that are, you know, maybe come in and buy it up and then gut it and sell it. I, I don't know. I will say this, though. I remember reading uh, about the demise of Sears. Um, oh, and that's, it seems like they're still circling the drain. I don't want to get anybody's hopes up on that one. But in talking about the, uh, the birth of Sears, when it first started, and I remember seeing some of the, uh, there was a, it was a big, it doesn't matter. I was, I was seeing some of the original Sears catalog. Uh, images. Did you know you could buy a house out of the Sears catalog? You could buy a house. I mean, you'd have to build it yourself, but you could buy a house. It's crazy. Did you know that towns used to do book burnings of the catalog? I guess they would be catalog burnings. It's a very niche kind of book burning. They would collect all of the Sears catalogs and they would burn them. Because they said that they were going to put all of the the Main Street USA, all of the the, uh, the mom and pop shops, they were going to put them out of business. And I'm sure some did. I'm sure some did go out of business when people could get stuff from Sears at a cheaper cost. And then when Sears obviously started doing their own brick-and-mortar retail locations with the big box at the mall template, I'm sure that put a, more businesses under all of the, and and honestly what's amazing is that Sears with that background with that history with their roots 
And what did, you know, what put them under? Amazon, right? Like of all of the companies that should have been able to go to a to a home ordering kind of a model, Sears, like what, what happened, guys? Right? You, you got big, you got fat, lazy, not as nimble as you used to be or something. Took a long time. I mean, they've been around like 100 years. And now I think the value is really tied up in their craftsman brand, right? It's the, the tools and such. The demise of Bed Bath & Beyond, founded in 1971, grew into one of the country's largest big box chains, um, is not, this is according to Bloomberg, is not an example of the inevitable decline of brick-and-mortar retailers that struggle to compete against Amazon. Instead, Bed Bath & Beyond is largely responsible for its own undoing, that according to suppliers, analysts, and former managers and employees. For nearly a decade, the retailer's leadership teams made decisions that pushed the company little by little towards the brink of financial collapse. So, yeah, I mean, poor management over time. Okay, but look, this is one of the things, one of my philosophies on life. This is how I kind of view things. Cycles. Green shoots and such, right? It, I, I saw it when I worked in restaurants and, and bars in Rock Hill, um, you have a you have these cycles. New bar opens up, everybody wants to go, becomes kind of old and dated, and oh, everybody's yeah, I don't want to go there anymore. That's just you know yesterday's news, and so everybody moves on to the next spot. And so there 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 is these cycles, and you got to kind of reinvent yourself. And um, so too it is with this stuff. Um, I often wonder, like all of the the problems in downtowns with like vagrancy and homelessness and the uh, the needles and such all over the place, and and people accosting you for money. Like I I wonder if malls see a resurgence because you can keep. I mean, if they wanted to, you can keep the riffraff out, right? Like you can set up all these rules and make it a safer environment for these shops to operate. Maybe maybe the demise of downtowns. Oh, you know, with crime and, and uh, vagrancy, maybe, I don't know, maybe it leads to a resurgence of the malls. I don't know. Cycles, man. That's life. I think. I think. I don't know. I don't have the answers. <laughs> but, um, I am curious about this dynamic, though. And I mentioned a little bit of it the other day. But there was a piece at National Review citing ALEC, um, America, the American Legislative Exchange Council. And what they're... What their numbers, their analysis shows is that the South is going to be America's economic powerhouse. It's about ready to happen. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's military surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. A couple of uh, emails here. Before I get to the uh, 
the South becoming the powerhouse. It is about to happen. Before I get to that, let me uh, cover a couple of these. This is from Stan, who says, over 2,000 years ago, Pete, uh, the mob crucified the only perfect person who has ever lived. So who cares what the cancel culture buffoons you? You're in good company. That's good. (laughs) Uh, This is from uh, Suzanne, who says, in my opinion, Bed Bath & Beyond lost their way. They used to have a nice range of well-priced things, but then they tried to change their image into something sleek, and they discontinued everything that I was buying from them. The replacement things were of lower quality. The store used to be very active before the sleek overhaul, but since then it's been empty. The sleek overhaul occurred during the CEO's tenure who committed suicide. Oh, I I did not know that. Um, And Joseph sends an article from the Columbia Dispatch that the Sears kit homes, you could buy a home, a kit, from the Sears catalog and have it shipped, I guess, to your house. But you don't have a house because the kit is a house. And then you built the house. And they're still standing. Sears kit homes still standing in neighborhoods throughout central Ohio. That's pretty cool. Um, and to, to, to hear it is, uh, Pete, funny that you mentioned that you could buy a house from Sears and Amazon basically put Sears out of business. You can now buy a house from Amazon. I mean, they're mostly tiny homes, but they do have some with at least one bedroom. That's oh, that's nice. Um, so throughout the 20th century, economic activity in America was clustered where? It was where those Sears kits were. Up in Ohio, right? Midwest, New York, Northeast, Midwest, California. Southern states kind of ignored. Then, about a generation or so ago, things started to change. In the 1970s, Atlanta, Orlando, Dallas started expanding very rapidly. In the 1980s, per capita incomes in a number of southern states started to catch up with other parts of the country. But overall, the South still lagged behind. Even as some of the more peripheral parts of the South began to thrive, the deeper South you went, as a general rule, the less growth and prosperity you were likely to find. Not for much longer. The southern U.S. is now not only the most populous part of America, there's mounting evidence that the southern states are going to become America's economic powerhouse. Got a uh, message here from Russ who says, Sears kit homes were the start of craftsman style. My grandfather built two of them. I did not know that. Like the Craftsman style homes, that was like Sears Craftsman's. That makes total sense. It's the same name. Oh my gosh, we are through the looking glass here. Um, the South is going to become America's economic powerhouse. It's just a matter of time. We already got more people. Yeah, we are now more populous. Remember the other day I, I gave you the stat. It was like a hundred years ago. Uh, I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of about. Uh, was a 50 or 60% of the uh, population of America lived in the Northeast, Midwest, and California. And now it's like 62% of America's population lives in the Southeast and Southwest, in the Sun Belt. So we already have more people. And yes, I am saying we. I came down here in 1992. The first opportunity I got to move down South, I, I took it. I came down South. We had vacation down here. My, we, we drove down to Florida one year. We went to Williamsburg one year. Uh, my brother went to the Citadel, and I was like, I want to come down south. <clears throat> and so I did. 
And uh, and then I never went back. Well, I mean, I would go back to visit. And the first summer in freshman year, I went back and I just worked. I worked two jobs. I was a valet car parker and uh, and I uh, I was a gopher at uh, at a day camp. And in the mornings, I drove a, a bus, a little short bus. I drove the short bus uh, that picked up all the kids on the route and brought them all to the day camp. And then during the day, I would go for stuff. I'd go run around and get all of the stuff for the maintenance department and the administrators and whatever. And I would go all over the place and help them with projects and stuff. And then in the evenings, three, four days a week, I would valet park cars. And we were a service. They'd rent us out. They'd send us to different locations and such. So got to cover a whole bunch, or not cover it, got to, got to attend. Well, I didn't attend. I got to work a whole bunch of different events, right? From weddings, well, mainly weddings. Yeah, that's generally. <clears throat> catering halls would hire us a lot of times. Some restaurants now and again, but the catering halls, like it was just different kind of vibe. Like catering hall where everybody shows up at the same time. So you get crushed at the front end and you run so much. You run so much. By the way, here's a tip. You should tip. Okay. They're going to take care of your car better. Give them a tip and give it to them on the front end. When you pull up, give them a tip right then and there. This way you don't have to worry about squirreling, you know, a $5 bill in your pocket, uh, you know, instead of, you know, oh, I paid the bartender that for the tip instead. No, no, you just, you pay it on the front end and then you're done. And you tell them, keep it close. And then they will. Even if you're not even having to go anywhere. If you just say, keep it close and you give them five bucks or 10 bucks, those guys run. I'm telling you. Valet parking is tough. It is tough. <clears throat> All right. So, uh, the, the, how did I get onto the valet park? Oh, from the Southeast. Yes. So I came down, I stayed. I'm not going back. Um, and everybody is joining me. I'm a bit of a trendsetter. Another example of this, just as an aside, real quick, the whole, uh, uh, khaki pants, the, the, the dockers look with the white t-shirt, plain white t-shirts. That was me. I, because I couldn't afford clothing really and so i got the khakis because they were cheap you can get them at the you know kmart and then there's another store that's no longer around anyway so i would get the the khakis and then you can get a pack of the white t-shirts for like five bucks for six of them you know so and then all of a sudden i started seeing everybody wearing this outfit like like we're all out of uh like south central la or something anyway um according to a new report put out by the american legislative exchange council Economic prospects are brighter in the South than in any other region of the country. With the exception of Louisiana, every Southern state in America is now ranked in the top half of the country in terms of economic outlook. The author of this piece, Douglas Carswell, he resides in Mississippi. And he says in his home state, he saw uh, Mississippi rose five places this year and is now ranked as having the 22nd most promising economic outlook in America. It is the traditional business centers of California, Illinois, and New York that are the laggards in terms of economic outlook. So keep in mind, this is perspective, right? Not perspective, but prospective. This is just forward-looking future economic prospects. So it's predictive. What explains these predictions and what explains the emerging Southern success story? It's got a lot to do with low taxes, limited government, and liberty. The three L's, as I now like to call them. Low taxes, limited government, and liberty. 
In 2022, Mississippi's Tax Freedom Account, or sorry, Tax Freedom Act, significantly cut the state income tax. I'm not going to go into the details, but it is very similar to what North Carolina did when Republicans won control of the legislature 10 years ago and then prompted the Moral Monday protests where people stormed the Capitol building, took over the legislative halls, and tried to block all uh, business from occurring. Mississippi adopt a universal occupational licensing law as well, which sounds wonky, technocratic and all, but what it does is pretty straightforward. It takes the red tape that, uh, out of the labor market. It helps to reduce it. How? Glad you asked. If you come from some other state and you've got a certification in that other state to, you know, cut hair or something, you don't need to get recertified in Mississippi. If you got certification in another state, then that counts in Mississippi too. It transfers over like a driver's license, which makes sense. Um, Alec reports also that uh, free market reforms that have spread from one southern state to the next, and some southern states have started emulating their neighbors. Look, this is what has driven North Carolina and the Republicans here. You know, they, they look at Tennessee, they look at Virginia, they look at Georgia, and they look at South Carolina. And we know it here in Charlotte. I remember, I mean, ever since I was a reporter, when I started as a reporter down in Rock Hill and then came to WBT in Charlotte, we were always having these stories. There were, they were constantly trying to compete across the state lines. And you're dealing with these different, you know, tax structures and, and benefits and such. And with both states, you got the, you know, the capital of South Carolina way down the road in Columbia haven't always been as responsive to the needs of the York County area, right? And same in North Carolina, where, you know, folks up in Raleigh tend not to think anything, you know, this side of the state exists. It gets more pronounced, by the way. Like, when you go, when you go, like, west of Hickory, I shouldn't even say Hickory. Oh, yeah, 321, basically. You go west of 321, I don't think Raleigh even knows that part of the state exists. <laughs> Which is very weird, because it used to be, uh, Asheville used to be, uh, I believe it was the second most, if not the most populous city in the state before the Great Depression. I think it even is bigger than, was bigger than Charlotte at the time, if I recall correctly. Or maybe it was second to Charlotte. But, um, but yeah, they... Uh, they went bankrupt because they went on a spending spree. They went bankrupt. The mayor killed himself, uh, killed himself, and uh, they ended up going into debt to the state, which they finally ended up paying back in like the 80s. And that's why their downtown never got built up. They, they were in so much debt for so long. And now everybody's like, oh, look at all the, the preservation of the architecture. And like, yeah, it's not exactly an intentional thing that happened there. <laughs> um, but anyway... Growth and prosperity have started to spread because we are competing with the other states on our borders. And so when we looked at South Carolina, we're like, okay, they've got a tax rate of what? Okay, let's get below that. Tennessee's got a tax rate of what? Let's get below that. We shall show the rest of America the way. The South. I don't want to say it's rising again. I'm not going to say that. It's just that's a loaded phrase. But I just point out there's a bit of a resurgence happening. Okay. 
All right. Now, given the state of affairs in our country and the world, are you asking yourself whether you're prepared for an emergency? I actually get asked this a lot. My answer, start at Carolina Readiness Supply, 2,000 square feet of supplies, the full line of Augustan Farms and Mountain House Foods, books, water purifiers, lighting, tools, first aid kits, camping and hiking supplies. Being prepared is just smart. Whether you're an experienced prepper or you have no clue what you're doing or somewhere in between, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. In Waynesville and online at carolinareadiness.com, get tickets to the Heritage Life Skills event also. Make a day trip to the mountains and return home fully prepared. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? Jeff says, Pete, speaking of tipping, you should have a show about tipping etiquette. I had always tipped when I got my car back, and I never know how much to tip when they take my golf bag at the golf course. During the pandemic, I got used to tipping for takeout, and I still do. Um, so a couple of things. Jeff, yes, I have done a show on tipping in the past. I think I've done multiple shows on tipping in the past. Um, did you know, for example, that tipping was originally banned in America? It was seen as a form of bribery. And how come we tip restaurant servers but we don't tip fast food service. Hmm. I go back and forth on some of this stuff. Anyway, um, so look, I always, I always, um, I always ask also, do they pull tips? And usually the valet parkers pull their tips. Um, so that's good to know because, you know, if you've got a really good server, they're going to be, kicking in towards a, a kitty or something. If you got, you know, and there's other people that are there, you want to hook them up to whatever. Um, and so if they pull their tips, maybe somebody who's just handing you the food at the takeout counter of the restaurant, maybe like you don't need to tip them, but it's going to go to everybody or whatever. It's up to you. I start at 20% and I work up from there. Like my baseline is always 20%. And uh, years ago, I also started at, on the advice of a listener from Asheville when I was up there, they, and he told uh, told me that he did this, and I liked it, so I've adopted it as well, which is to write notes on the, you know, on the uh, the uh, the restaurant copy of the of the receipt. And if you can, if you always think about it, you know, bring cash. Better to tip in cash. Not that I am espousing people skirt IRS reporting, but if you give them cash then they can claim that they got stiffed and not pay any taxes on it. Not that I am suggesting people should do that. I'm just saying you give them the option. Um, but if you write notes when people do bad stuff, if they're not a good server or something, you got to write the good notes. And what I have found is I actually, I do I write the good notes. All, I don't write bad notes usually. But this guy told me that's what he does. He'll write a bad note because the management sees it when they're reconciling. They'll see those copies especially if there's a whole bunch of writing on it. So, um, James says there is a Sears kit home in Mebane, North Carolina. And Kathy says she lives in a Sears built home. Interesting. Or a kit home. Um, so I mean, things just go in cycles. Amazon selling homes, just like Sears, Sold homes and stuff. Oh, here's... Oh, here we go. Here's another one. Um, movies. For the first time since COVID, shuttered movie theaters 
business is booming with audiences flocking to see John Wick, Chapter 79, Scream 70, and just last weekend, the Super Mario Brothers movie. It's actually John Wick 4 and Scream 6. Overall, the domestic box office stands $2.3 billion, up 36.8% from the same period last year. That is an almost 600% improvement over 2021, according to Comscore. The exhibition industry is finally looking like its pre-pandemic self again, partly attributable to studios releasing new installments of successful franchises. But it is also linked to a shift in attitude among the major media companies when assessing the value of a theatrical release. Because in recent years, Hollywood had a serious case of Netflix envy. Studios wanted to launch their own streaming services, so they amassed a lot of red ink, they built splashy streaming shows, and shrunk the amount of time that movies screened exclusively in the theaters. And they did this as a way to generate enthusiasm for their apps, right? For their streaming services, Paramount+, Plus, HBO Max, Disney+, Plus, right? But Wall Street has now soured on the economics of streaming, believing that the media conglomerates that run these services need to be as focused on making money as they are on attracting subscribers. Investors are not too thrilled about all the debt that got built up. That made box office revenues an increasingly vital part of their overall financial health. So they're, they're, they're shifting back. What did I say? Cycles, right? This stuff goes in cycles. They're shifting back to like, hey, you know what? Maybe... Releasing movies into the theater for a while before we give people access on their streaming device in their home. Like, maybe this is a good way for us to make some extra money, right? Because not everybody's got the apps, and they're not going to buy the apps just to watch my one movie.